Hello, I'm Chris Ashmore. On October 14 this year, the Australian people will have their say on offering a direct role for Indigenous peoples at the federal level of Parliament. A referendum will be held to enshrine the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice in the Constitution. It's a simple and concise amendment, and it's a set of principles, not a set of procedures. That's according to Raymond Sexton, who says voting yes is the right thing to do, and now is the right time to do it. We may not have another opportunity like this. I begin by asking Raymond what the voice is exactly, and how is it designed to help our First Nations people? The way I look at it about the voice, the voice is like a place at the table. I mean, and so essentially the biggest error that I think people are making in Australia is that they think that we're all in this together. But the problem is the Indigenous population were never invited into this thing that we're all in together. So they they feel like they've been invited into an organisation, but they were never given their own individual voice to begin with. So if you look at trying to build up a, a peace thing, is the starting point is parity of esteem. So basically, they have to exist is really what the voice is. Think about it. They have to be acknowledged. What's the point of being acknowledged and then having no voice? Think about that. Like, so great, they're revered, but now they have no right to speak. So they need a right to speak to tell us what they need and what they want to do. That's what I think the voice is. It's very simple. For those detractors out there, it's more than just being symbolic. It is because it has to be. Like, if you think about it, imagine if there was a house. Just imagine for a second a house. So there's a nice, quiet guy living in the house. But one night there was a couple of people broke into the house and they settled into the front room. And then they enjoyed themselves so much that they invited a few more people into the front room. And then they got bigger and bigger and then they moved into the back room or whatever. And in the end, the original owner was left in the back shed because there were so many people enjoying the house. All I'm saying is you've got to go back and tidy up the paperwork <laughs> and sit the guy down and say, look, it was your house in the beginning and uh, thank you for letting us in. So how are we going to sort this out? So in the end, what's happening is it has to lead to a, a further process of tidying up the loose end. It's like having a, a wound or a bone that was set incorrectly and healed and it never be right. You do have to fix it and set it correctly. That's really what we're talking about here. We're resetting the bones so when it heals, it heals correctly, not heals the way the settlers wanted it healed. We get it healed the way everybody wants it healed, both sides, parity of esteem. What's the Makarata Commission and how does that tie in with the voice? The Makarata is a, an Indigenous word for sort of a process, a post-conflict process. And really what it is, if you look at in Ireland where I'm from, they don't call it the peace agreement. We call it the peace process because we realise you can't have 40 years of total and utter ethnic war and suddenly have a meeting and someone gives you a docket and says, no, that's all sorted. There's a whole lot of healing has to be. All the people that have been impacted on both sides have to come to terms with the fact that we're moving into a new, a new era. But you have to, t- it's closure. Just imagine something happening. It's like Holocaust deniers. Think about it. If someone started saying the Holocaust never happened, like there'd be bedlam, right? Why do the Jewish community always want the Holocaust acknowledged? Because it happened. And that's kind of where Makarata is coming from as well. The indigenous population want people to acknowledge what happened and they want to reconcile. So it's a process. That's really what the Makarata is. It's a process after they get their voice, Chris. They get their voice and then where do they go with their voice? 
they go to the Macarata <laughs> and work through the system. Right. Now, the voice may well be a very good idea, but does it have to be in the Constitution? Could it be legislated? It has to be in the Constitution. The concept has to be in the Constitution, not the detail. And this is, I'll come to that in terms of my friend, Mr. Dutton. The bottom line is, is the Constitution makes it much more permanent. It could still be changed. We could have another referendum later on and change it. But there have been multiple Indigenous organisations that have been abolished by the signature of a minister. So, like, if you think about it, if you have a treaty between two sovereign nations, one nation can't draw a line through that. It's a treaty. So by putting it in the Constitution, it means the concept is permanent. That's why it has to be there. When it comes to the No campaign, do you have any issues with how they're doing it? I believe that what they're doing is they're putting, like certainly Peter Dutton, and I, I won't shy away from the fact that has put his own, he needs a win, right? He needs a win. And if you look at where he's strong, he's strong in Queensland, he's Western State, where these issues are much more, I suppose, in your face, there's larger Indigenous populations. So what they've done is, instead of going with the intent of the thing, which is reconciliation, giving people a voice and saying, let's go with this. Now, I'll give you an example. In Ireland, we've had multiple land acts, multiple home rule acts, multiple treaties, etc. You never get something right in one go. So there's not enough wrong with the voice to vote no. There are maybe potentially a few things that that might be wrong. But in the end, the next time we go to the ballot box, there could be another little slip of paper at the back saying, can we change a couple of the words (laughs) in the voice? What he's done is he's been negative, disruptive, and he's talking about detail, detail, detail. And I can give you examples in the the Irish Constitution. The Irish Constitution summarised on same-sex marriage which is it says that the constitution allows for the marriage between two people irrespective of sex. So there you are. That is the total insert in the Irish constitution. Now, separately, there's a same-sex marriage act, which is done by parliament. So that's what I'm saying with the voice here in Australia, which is keep the thing in the constitution simple and Peter can get into his detail in Canberra. Next year, he can bore us silly with all the detail next year. I'm sure he will. <laughs> now, you mentioned Mr Dutton and um, the Nationals and the and the Liberals, but what about Labor? How's the Labor government been handling the referendum and putting the case to the Australian people? I think it's a bit like what happened poor Hillary Clinton in the US, which is she they've underestimated the bogeyman of what happened is the Liberal Party and the No campaign got out of the traps early and have spooked a lot of positive people who are broadly in favour. And I believe that the Labour Party should have nailed these people earlier. And Peter Dutton should have been saying, there is no need for detail in the Constitution. Which part of that do you not get? Right. And that is a very simple thing because a Constitution is meant to be a conceptual document. Mm. And then you've detailed legislation. But he got off and running and Labour are kind of coming over with the hill now with Johnny Farnham and a few things trying to get us emotional. But the horse is well down the... <laughs> the Northern man is well down the track and he should have been nailed earlier. So that would be my biggest thing. The other issue then is this ridiculous booklet that's been issued from the Australian Electoral Commission. Not because the, the format's fine. It's just that it should have been written by independent, separate experts giving real facts. It's basically two propaganda. (laughs) It's a comic. 
when you have a referendum, you're meant to have one neutral document comes from legal experts that tells you the truth. Whereas this is now just the same as every other election brochure. Yeah. Some of the statements, Chris, are hilarious. I like from both. From both. No, well, it's easier focus on the negative. Like if you look at all the yes campaign, it's all positive. You know, warm feeling, no problem. So there's nothing you can pick on. But there's absolute lies in the no campaign, right? There's fears and they're triggering, there's certain tri- land rights and like, there's, there's fear being generated, which is out of the playbook of we've seen it in Brexit, like we've seen it in Brexit and we saw it in the US with Trump. And we see it here on multiple issues where people, like everyone's talking about, you know, is the voice going to have an impact on the Reserve Bank of Australia? Like, where did that come from? But no one's going to read the 2,000 words of either side, really? I wouldn't think they would, which is gets back to, I suppose, my challenge, which is that Peter Dutton got off down the track <laughs> early. And that's so I'm frustrated with Labour. I agree with where they're going. But they certainly, in terms of winning referenda, they're novices. Like, if you look at it, we've had three mega situations in Ireland. We had the... Good Friday Agreement, right? Peace Accord. We had the same-sex marriage and then we had a modified form of abortion. The Irish government generally only put a bill if they think it's 66-34 and both of them came in. So then when these issues get resolved, they're resolved forever. The problem with the Brexit type of situation, which has been now created, is that what do we do if it's 51-49? Like, it'll leave the country in a worse position. There was a lot of support a year ago in the community. It was like 65 35% in favour for the Yes campaign, but it's dwindled to almost, you know, why is that? Well, essentially, look, it's, I don't know if you're a rugby fan, the Rugby World Cup's on at the moment, is you can kill the ball, you can play negative rugby, it's called. You, you, you kind of like, the English are great for that, you know, if they were up against a dynamic team, they'd stick the ball up their jumper and keep it tight. So... And the others wouldn't get to play. So what has happened is the no campaign has got out there and spooked people with like treaty, uh, you know, land grab, reparations, etc. And all we're talking about here is a voice. So I'm here, I'm on a podcast, right? I've got a voice. Now, you didn't say to me, oh, you can't have a voice. Like, I've come here (laughs) and I can express myself and uh, you can or cannot. You don't have to listen to me, Chris. And if you read the thing in the Constitution, it says that the government can interpret what it hears from the voice. It doesn't have to implement what the voice says, you know. Like, I think there's a frustration on my part that the no campaign got out moving quickly. But I do believe that if people read into the detail now, they'll realise that they have been misled. That's what I'm hoping. Well, elites aside and people at the front end of the campaign... What about the Australian community and um, beyond Indigenous communities? How can they be engaged and be supportive of the voice to Parliament and the reconciliation efforts? I think the most important thing is that they can read it. Like, see, it's like everything else is we're kind of having these modern debates based on sound bites, right? And <laughs> the bottom line is if we could get everyone to actually read the three clauses that are going into the Constitution and say, well, they're reasonable, like, Okay, is there anything there? And then you you look at it and think, okay, are they going to take over the government? Are they going to change the interest rate on the mortgages? Look, the bottom line, you read the thing. Surely people can, they've all, English is probably the best subject taught in Australia. Surely you can read it and tell me, and this business of legal concerns, 
like I've spent my whole life listening to legal concerns. Well, I've got moral and ethical concerns about what's going on here. Of course, someone might challenge this. But do we not believe that our legal system will listen to the arguments? And if they make sense, we'll make an adjustment to it. And if they don't make sense, it'll be left alone. Why is there this fear of doing something and maybe getting it slightly wrong? Because I'll give you a simple example. When we had the peace process in Ireland, in the Constitution, we changed the Constitution to say everyone born on the island of Ireland has the right to become an Irish citizen. And everybody thought this was marvellous because all our friends in Northern Ireland who were British could, if they wanted to, become Irish. Who would have imagined that people from all over the world would, at 30 weeks pregnant, would fly into Dublin and have their baby at the National Maternity Hospital and then claim Irish citizenship? (laughs) on the arrival of the baby. The bottom line is, next time there was a referendum, we added in a little clause to say, subject to the rules and regulations of the Immigration Act or something like that. There was some little... But it was a live document. This constitution has been held a bit like the Holy Grail or the, the Ten Commandments. I mean, we can change it and we can change it again if we make a slight error. But this idea of waiting 20 years, think about it, 20 years since the last time with the Republic, right? And I wanted a Republic back then. And I think my understanding at the time was the majority of people wanted a Republic. And here we are 20 years later, and it's not even, doesn't even get a, doesn't even get a mention. Not to mention Section 44, 17 members of Parliament were disqualified. Josh Frydenberg, when he announced JobKeeper, was in court defending his right to be a, a member of Parliament. And we've never got to that either because it's very difficult, right? Very, very difficult. Yeah. Look, has something like The Voice been achieved overseas? Any international examples? Well, I think something like The Voice, I think the most powerful thing, and it gets underwhelmed, people don't give it the value, is the European Union. So if you look at the European Union, every time you look at the European Union, there's always a summit. I don't know if you ever see that. There's, in, there's, there's a summit and there's going to be a crisis. So if Greece is going broke, there's going to be a summit. If there's a migration crisis, there's going to be a summit. But that's because the EU is essentially a peace process. And the idea is jaw-jaw, not war-war. It's a very simple model. So what they do is there's always a summit, right? And what we did is we voted, if you look into the European Union, look at the French and the Germans. You'd think they're in lockstep. But if you look at the statistics, how many million people did those two countries kill of the other country? Mm. It's absolutely horrendous. And here we are because of concepts and building up a new approach post-conflict. I think one of the things I've said in Ireland, we're post-conflict grappling with trying to roll it out. I believe Australia, if it isn't careful, could be pre-conflict because these people are looking for a voice. If you look at Northern Ireland example, it took... Sinn Féin IRA, 40 years to get their voice, right? And we don't necessarily want any of that type of activity to get a voice. People are asking for a voice. We should give them the voice. Mm. Look, the voice, it's been described as a turning point for the nation. What are your thoughts on that? I believe it's like a CAT scan. I think if you look at it, I'm here, and if you stay within normal bounds of conversation, everything looks rosy, everyone is so polite and friendly, you stick with the weather and the footy, and everybody is just fabulous, right? And suddenly then this little issue comes up, and suddenly little pockets of racism, pockets of intragedance, pockets of colonialism pop out of the thing. So it's a little bit 
dangerous for the country, right? Because I often talk about if you go to Dubai in the airport, there's guys in the traditional dress, there's guys in the complete head to toe, then there's guys in suits, and then there's modern guys in t-shirts. And they're all from Dubai. But you can spot the fundamentalists, you can spot the, <laughs> the different people. In Australia, it was pretty hard to know who were the conservatives. And I just think this is, it could be, if it's too tight, yes or no, it will be like a bit like Brexit. That's my fear, if it's too tight. So I'm hoping if it's a no, it's 66 <laughs> percent. And if it's a yes, it's six. But if it's 49.51, I don't think it's going to be good for the, the community. Division. It's division. But it's not, this is where people think, but people will blame the voice for doing that. No, no. What it is, we've gone for the CAT scan. It was always there. And people said to me, they don't want to divide the country on race. And the only people that ever say that are the classic white Anglo-Saxons, right? Because they run the place in their own head. So they don't want to divide up. But it is divided up by race. How many Irish people are in Canberra? How many Indians are in Canberra? How many Czechoslovakians in Canberra? Like, I don't know, maybe there's one I didn't... No, Josh Frydenberg is... <laughs> I picked the wrong <laughs> nationality. But what I'm saying is it actually currently is divided by race, but it's not very obvious. It's very underneath the surface. And I think this voice referendum is unfortunately bringing things to a head. And it could be uncomfortable for a while, Chris. It could be uncomfortable. Mm. Look, we've touched on many issues here, Raymond, but um, other than this podcast, of course, what can Australians do to learn more about the voice and educate themselves? Well, I think there's two things. One, obviously, is... (laughs) <laughs> you need plenty of fortitude to read the famous booklet. <laughs> but I suggest you, you you get a good strong cup of coffee and work through it. That's one thing. But there's a very simple thing. If you just look up Yes 23, like just Google Yes 23, it's a very even-handed thing. And it's positive and cheery. One of the things that struck me during the Matilda success story with the soccer was that that was the Australia I became a citizen of. That's what I remember from Bob Hawke, this warm, cuddly, you know, the wattle and the, and the gum tree. And like, I just, it was all very cheery. And then suddenly I came back and then it was that Tony Abbott kind of thing. And I'm, not, I'm talking about that harsh sort of dictatorship type of red and blue. It, and it, the country is, has what I call cognitive dissonance at the moment. It hasn't quite settled. Is it the old red and blue thing? two or three days a year, you know, when we're remembering people and the people that fought for the country? Or is this this new, modern, friendly, embracive Matilda thing that we all saw where the whole country was behind this? But they weren't in red and blue. They were in... Green and gold. Green and gold. Mm. And, and it was multicultural. And there was gender equality. And there was no... Everybody, everybody was doing their thing and everybody was in great form. That's what we're talking about here. So I think look up Yes 23, read the booklet, but have conversations because some people are talking with disinformation. Like I don't mind having an argument if someone's got a bit of substance, but if the argument's about, oh, they're trying to do a land grab and I'm thinking, okay, run me through that exactly how the land grab's taking place or, you know, some of these things are so nefarious or like bullshit basically. But on a positive note, how do you feel? I feel there's a slim chance of a yes, but then it's a bit like, you know, I don't know, in, we're going to college, if you failed your summer exams, you can come back in the autumns. I think if we do fail, it's not going to go away because, like people say, why are you talking about this? And I just remember, I have 800 years, not me personally, but the Irish people have 800 years experience 
in colonialism, right? And we're still at it. Think about it. We spent spent 20 years of my life helping with the Good Friday Agreement and then good old Boris Johnson brought in Brexit and he almost literally took a scalpel to the, to the healing wound, right? So all of a sudden, this issue of reconciling things takes time and it has to be done progressively. It's not a single line item. It has to be done progressively. And I'm hopeful, but I think we may end up back in the autumn exams <laughs> for a repeat, but I'm hoping not. <laughs> Good way to end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Raymond Sexton. Raymond has set up a Facebook group called Let Us All Combine. The link, facebook.com forward slash let us all combine, can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this special podcast on The Voice. I'm Chris Ashmore from Chris Ashmore Media. Chris Ashmore Media.